Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Hi, everybody. You know, we hope the time you're going to spend with us is going to remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in your work and your life. Uh, with mental health experts selected from around the globe, we're going to give you ideas and tools to deal with anxiety at work. Our guest today is the wonderful and talented uh, Wendy Ulrich. Uh, Wendy is a psychologist with over 25 years of experience. She's a business coach and uh, trainer with the RBL Group. She and her husband, Dave Ulrich, co-authored the Wall Street Journal and number one business bestseller, The Why of Work, How Great Leaders Build Abundant Organizations That Win. We're delighted to have you on our humble little podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Wendy. Hey, I'm so happy to be here, despite uh, the fact that you guys are, you know, really scary people. I'm, I'm really happy. <laughs> well, Wendy, I'll jump in, Adrian here, and we're so happy to have you on. As a licensed psychologist, you deal with a lot of anxiety, but, but you talk about that anxiety is not always a bad thing, that some anxiety is good for us. Too much maybe is, is not so good. Yeah, if we didn't have any anxiety, we would probably not live very long. Um, and we wouldn't do a very good job of uh, planning for the future if we weren't worried a little bit about it. But yeah, there's a sort of a bell curve for anxiety, for stress, for a lot of things in our lives that we can have an optimal sort of level somewhere at the top of that bell curve looking thing where we function well with a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety going in our lives. Most of us do better, but that bell curve is different for every person. And when we get too much anxiety, our performance starts going down the other side of that curve. Um, I, if the bell curve is our performance. It, it, it starts to decline when we get too stressed, too anxious, rather than that anxiety sort of spurring us on to doing a little better than we would do without it, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, we're seeing obviously with COVID and people isolating and a lot of people losing their jobs that that balance, that anxiety balance is way out of whack. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing that people are doing to, to deal with that anxiety? And, and a follow-up question, because I know you do a lot of work specifically with women. Is, is the COVID, is it impacting women more than men? Is it equally distributed? And, and what are some things people can do to kind of tamp down that overabundance of anxiety that can sometimes be so paralyzing? Great questions. And let's uh, start with the women when women are more prone to anxiety than men and to mental health challenges in general for reasons that I don't think we fully understand. Uh, some of it's probably our biology since it seems to be a pretty pervasive finding in the research that we have about twice as much anxiety and depression wow. as men do. Um, but some of it is probably the socialization and the roles that women are taking in the world that we live in, too. Um, one of the things that makes us anxious in across the board, men or women, is uncertainty. We don't do well with uncertainty. And if anybody's noticed lately, we've kind of got a lot of uncertainty <laughs> going here. Um, and in all the forms that it takes, uh, we've got uncertainty about the future which is especially hard on people with anxiety. And we've got a lot of ambiguity about what does all of this mean about me and about my life. And um, all of that uncertainty and ambiguity makes it hard for people to feel like they're in control. Anxiety is at some level, if we're thinking about it as a mental health issue, an issue of control. 
Um, I tend to want to be in control. And when I don't feel out in control, I, I get anxious. And when I get anxious about being anxious, then I have an anxiety disorder. And it's easy to, to get that going when the world is such an uncertain place in general. I think of it as sort of like the background noise on your computer. You know, every once in a while, my computer will kind of freeze up for no reason that I can see. And I keep asking my IT guy about it. And he says, well, there's just got to be some kind of running in the background. And every once in a while, it just overwhelms the system. Well, the COVID stuff is like that. It's like this thing running in the background all the time. And 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 you add anything else to it, and it very quickly can just overwhelm us. We feel irritable. We feel grumpy. We feel teary. We feel out of control. So um, all of those things are compounded by this background noise of uncertainty that's running in our lives all the time. Any Either of you ever get irritable? I, I don't think so. But, you know, <laughs> everybody else I know. <laughs> Never. Never had an anxious moment in my life. It's, it's, it's remarkable, yeah. really. Now, Wendy, one of our focuses is anxiety at work. Now, as you've talked about, all these, you know, all this uncertainty, all these, all these inputs that we bring into to work, and yet it's a place where people feel rather powerless. Um, how, how can we help, perhaps ourselves, or if we're leaders, how can we help others that may be in our care? Great question, Adrian. Um, one of the ways I think about leadership is leaders have the opportunity to try to help people find meaning in what they're doing. And it's that meaning that is often the difference between just going through the motions at work and really being invested. Um, meaning starts to go by the wayside when, when the normal routines, the normal relationships that bring meaning into our lives, the values that we hold, that we're trying to live, that bring meaning into our lives are being threatened by the, the work that we're trying to do being so different from what we're used to doing. Um, I was doing something the other night uh, at talking to a, a group of leaders and they were all sort of complaining about the fact that we can't, we can't do things to the standard we're used to. It feels like everything's you know, compromised and we're going crazy. We get to the point where we don't wanna even do anything because we can't do it the way we're used to doing it. And I realized um, that is really a pervasive issue for a lot of us. We, we are having to constantly do things right now that we're not used to doing at standards we're not used to being okay with. You know, if I'm on a Zoom call as opposed to standing up in front of a group and where I can really hear the audience and interact with them, it feels really hollow and kind of shallow at some level. Um, the technical difficulties get in the way and that's just my job. Right, right. You know? <laughs> Um, uh, I'm not used to being able to, you know, I'm not used to not being able to do things at the standard I'm used to. Everybody's kind of facing a lot of that. Uh, we're either not doing things at the standard we're used to because we don't know how to do what we're having to do right now. It's a whole new ball game for us or because we, we know what we're doing, but we can't get the people we need to do it. We, you know, the, we're overwhelmed with too much to do in some businesses. So we've got all kinds of demands that have gone way up, but the resources haven't necessarily gone up to meet those demands. And that's one of the jobs of leaders is to help bring the resources into play in people's lives. Meaning is a huge resource. If I can connect with the stories, if 
of how we're doing this in a way that makes me feel like, yeah, we're better than we think we are. You know, um, it doesn't feel great, but but we're we're being resilient. We're creating. We're doing new things. We're finding new approaches. We're helping real people solve real problems. That sense of meaning really brings a lot of, of hope and purpose to uh, to help us deal with the anxieties and the stresses that we're under. You know, you said something there that was really important, and we did a lot of research on our new book, Anxiety at Work. That, you know, the reason we're doing this podcast to help people take that stigma away at work. But this idea, uh, we can't do it as good as we used to do. It's so different. You know, one of our experiences, you know, we we love to present on stage. You and your husband, Dave, have presented on stage and do such brilliant work. And it's so funny when you're presenting virtually and you tell a joke, no one laughs. Like they may be laughing. You can't hear them. And it's kind of like, hey, is this thing on? You know, uh, and so that change is so interesting. Now, so what are some of the what are some of the tools? What are some of the helps that, that you've as a psychologist? I mean, I know there's, you know, take care of yourself first and then you can take care of others. But what are some of the things that as a coach that you tell executives, look, here are some things you can do that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be to that. So it can be good enough. And, and some of those, some of those ideas that help them get through that, that anxiety. It, did that make any sense? I rambled there for a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't get to hear us laughing, but Adrian and I are both over here. Um, yeah, some of the work that Carol Dweck has done over the years on resilience and growth mindset is so helpful here because we are all having to be resilient like crazy right now. And one of the things she, of course, discovered is she was trying to figure out what's the mindset behind resilience is that the kids that she was giving hard problems to who were suddenly feeling overwhelmed by the difficulty of the task, who felt like they were failing began to withdraw into sort of a place of shame and hiding. And I don't want people to know that I'm not doing this well. So who can I blame? And this isn't important anyway, or finding excuses or, you know, leaning back from the task, looking out the window, all kinds of ways that we deal with feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And what she found was that the kids who were the most resilient were the ones who didn't, she was looking for what helps people be resilient in the, in the face of failure. She said, these kids didn't think they were failing. They just didn't even start out thinking that way about it. They didn't think they were failing because they thought they were learning. And so um, that's a great mindset for me to try to keep in my head. Now, I go through my day and it gets kind of out of my control. And that's a big challenge for women, I think, more than men. We we go to perfectionism and control, not risk-taking and creativity when things get stressful, at least more readily. And um, so some of it is just reminding myself at the start of the day and reminding clients when they come in, okay, what changes for you if you are not failing your learning? And the way that you learn is you take risks and you try hard things. And as leaders, we want to support that risk-taking. We want to remind the people that are working with us and for us, we're not failing here. As long as we're learning, we're not failing. So let's keep focusing on that. Um, Let's not worry about getting it perfect. Let's worry about getting it right in terms of, of really helping people that we're trying to help and really doing the things we're trying to do. But if it's not perfect, great, let's learn and move forward. That's been a big one um, that I think has been helpful for a lot of people. Uh, it's certainly been helpful for me. 
I have some words written down on my desk in, that started be, acu- being accumulated on my little notebook on my desk here uh, when COVID started. And the very first one was slow down. And that's still the hardest one for me to hang on to. Um, it, it came from a beautiful song by that title that uh, someone sent to me um, that that I just was so helpful for me to just remember, okay, stop, think, take a minute, breathe. What's the priority? You know, let me just reconnect with why I'm doing this. Let me just reconnect with who I am and what matters most to me right now. Because we get, I get interrupted a thousand times more right now than I have before for some reason that I haven't quite figured out um, thoroughly. But those interruptions really break up our efficiency. We, as, as you pointed out in our, in your book, uh, we're, we're more likely to lose efficiency when we are constantly being interrupted. And yet that's kind of the nature of life for a lot of people right now. So just slowing down and, um, and being willing to just do it badly. My mother, you know, you you can fill in this blank. Your mother taught you if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing. Well, you got it. And I've had to learn over the years that my mother was wrong. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. While well, we learn to do it better and rather than not doing it at all. And in fact, the things that are most worth doing fall into that category. They're hard. If we could do them easily, they probably aren't worth doing. Um, so slowing down enough to say, okay, take the risk. Uh, what's worth doing even if I can't do it well right now so that I can learn to do it better? And let's jump into the mess and uh, and and not be afraid of of the of the the rawness and the messiness that we're all in right now. One of one of the things you you sort of hinted around about it in there is is what we look for perhaps in others around us, whether they're teammates or again, if I'm a leader, uh, I'm looking for signs of anxiety in my people. In many cases, they're remote right now, and and that's made things doubly difficult. I may not see the little twitch. I may not see the uh, uh, somebody withdrawing as much. How how do we find those around us who may be needing help? Very good question. And, uh, and, and the simplest answer I can think of is how do I find that out as a therapist? I ask people. So how's, how's the anxiety for you right now? How are you coping? You know, what's stressful for you? I just simply taking that slowing down, taking that minute to just check in with people because you're right. We don't have the visual cues and, uh, we're, we're missing them. We also have to take responsibility, of course, on, the side of the person who's feeling the anxiety to say, okay, I'm a little overwhelmed today. I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty irritable uh, or I'm feeling, you know, like I just want to quit. But noticing in ourselves when we're feeling overloaded and being willing to communicate that. If you don't like the word anxiety, just say, okay, I've got too many things on my plate right now. Could you help me prioritize what matters most to you? Or um, I'm, I'm feeling like I got to take a break here for an hour and get my, my head back in the game. You know, just whatever it takes to sort of communicate that. Uh, it's not just all on the leader to, to find that, although it certainly helps when they're asking to make it easier to, to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really struggling here. You know, uh, there's so many takeaways in every question you're asking here. I'm making copious notes uh, to, to share at the end. I, I'm curious, so... 
as a therapist, I know you've got some great success stories. Can you share one of those stories with us where somebody was really struggling, really anxious, you know, in their personal life, in business, and they were able to pull themselves out of it? Do you have any of those kind of stories you might share with us? You know, you're making me think of a quote from uh, Carl Jung, great psychologist uh, in the early days of this field. And uh, somebody came to him and said, so how, how many people that you've treated have like gotten over their problems? And he thought about it for a second and he said, none of them, <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> but some of them have managed to transcend them. Wow. And I think that's a really, <clears throat> really valuable thing for us to think about. If you've got anxiety and you've had anxiety for you know 20 years, probably you're not going to get over it right now. Um, you're going to learn to work with it. You're going to learn to cope with it better. You're going to learn to tolerate it so that you don't get anxious about being anxious, uh, which is what makes it worse and start to spiral out of control. Um, but we don't really overcome anxiety and um, we don't really overcome most of the problems that we're dealing with. I, I love some research by a great marital researcher, John Gottman, who started looking at how many of the people who came into his office, you know, five years later, 15 years later, whatever, had gotten over the problem that they came in with. And only 30% of them said that, yeah, we're pretty much done with that now. 70% of the people he had treated, and he's like the best, you know, one of the best there is. We're saying, yeah, yeah, we're still dealing with that, still going on. And, and that's really at some level really reassuring and at some level really scary. It's, it's scary because we're like, but I, I can't stand this. You know, I, I hate this. I don't want this problem anymore. So don't tell me I'm never going to get over it. It's reassuring to realize these people were all still married. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, they were still, they were happily married, but there are, there are intractable problems in everybody's life that we probably will never just get rid of. We figure out ways to turn that, to find the strength that's on the other side of that weakness. We find ways to um, let it become less predominant in our lives. We find ways to work with it. My, my daughter's just uh, finished a, a book with a co-author called The Power of Stillness. She works a lot with, um, she's a psychologist as well, works a lot with mindfulness and meditation. And this has been a very different approach for psychology to get involved with in just recent years that says, no, it's not about you're going to tackle this problem to the ground and get rid of it. It's about you're going to calm yourself down. You're going to, you're going to receive what is. You're going to lean into it. You're going to commit to to, to feeling this disturbance on and off again for the rest of your life. And you're going to release the fantasy, as one person put it, that you can get to a place of never feeling this again. You're going to, you're going to open yourself up to it, put a name on it, and you're going to treat it with compassion and with kindness and with, um, with inviting it in rather than, you know, pushing it away and feeling ashamed about it and trying to, trying to wrestle it down. Um, I love the work by Brene Brown, who may, lets us know that, that uh, shame is not our friend. And, um, and we are very inclined to try to use shame to make us better. And she finds that that doesn't work. You know, we think if we feel bad about something enough, certainly we'll change it. 
And the opposite is actually true. The more we just sort of receive it and say, yeah, this is frustrating. Yeah, no wonder I'm feeling this way right now. Okay, it makes sense that I'm feeling tense. Let's just sit with this for a minute. What do I know to do when I'm feeling tense that just says to myself, yeah, you know, yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Let's just, let's just take this in. Let's just take some breath. Let's just name this as I'm scared and it's okay that I'm scared. And, you know, just it's, it's not something that nobody else feels. And if I feel that I'm a bad person, um, this is, this is just the way I built. This is the way life is. And, let it in, find a way to diffuse it a little bit, but we're not going to just eliminate it. I, I wanted to come back to a minute to the why of work, uh, because, you know, as you write, you and Dave wrote in that book, a lot of it was for leaders to create a why within their their workplace. And you've talked about meaning. How does somebody who's who's listening create that meaning, perhaps if they're if they're not feeling it right now or a leader within their team? What can we do to maybe bring a little of that wisdom from from your book into our lives? in this COVID world? Uh, Staying focused on what matters most to us is the simple answer, I think, to that question. And there are some ways that we can define what it is that matters most to us. But for the big majority of us, relationships are really key to finding meaning in life. We find that um, the people who live the longest are, are the people who have the best relationships and the most quality of relationships. It's not necessarily a numbers game. How many friends do you have? But what's the quality as well of those relationships? So when people, you know, we know from the Gallup research from a long time ago, when people have a best friend at work, all kinds of good things happen. Even under stress, they are more satisfied with their work. They're less likely to quit. They're more creative. They get they get fewer complaints. They get in fewer accidents when they just have a friend at work. So creating the moments of connection, helping people make and respond to those little bids for connection, you know, being willing to just stop by and say hello. I think Google right now is calling it moments that matter. You know, just creating these tiny little moments in the course of a day where Somebody connects with me in a real way that feels like they're really present. They really care. Um, I can be real with them and they're being real with me. Those relationships make a big difference. But no matter what's going on in our lives, when we folk tune into relationships, when we tune into gratitude, taking a moment to look at the beauty of the mountain or being grateful that the water's cold and, and I can drink cold water out of a tap. I don't have to go haul it in from a river two miles away. You know, just those moments of gratitude and connection that remind me of the goodness in my life go a long way as well. I love a quote about hope, which is in short supply, I think, these days. We're wondering if we dare to hope uh, from Vaclav Havel, who is the the, the first, uh, he was a playwright, a Czech, Czechoslovakian playwright and the first president of the Czech Republic, which is an interesting and sort of auspicious beginning for a, for a, a political state um, to be run by a playwright. But he said, hope is not a prognostication. That is, it's not the prog- a prognosis about how things are going to go. He said, that's not what it is. That's what we think it is. Hope means, oh, well, it's going to be okay. He said, no, hope is not a prognostication. It's an orientation that no matter how things turn out, they can have meaning. 
I love that. That is a deep statement to me that says no matter how bad it gets, no matter how disappointed I am, no matter how much of a struggle there may be for me, I can find the meaning in it. That is my unique capacity as a human animal as opposed to another kind of an animal is my ability to find meaning. And I find that meaning in connection, in gratitude, in living the values that matter to me, um, regardless of my circumstances. So I'll often ask people, so as you look back on this difficult time in your life, what what would, and I never can figure out how to ask this question very well. I always have to say it about three times to get it communicated. But if you look back on this time, what, what would you have been doing that would allow you now looking back on it later to feel like, ah, I, I did what mattered most to me. I lived the values that mattered most to me. And when I can stay grounded in that, oh my gosh, I know what to do in the moment when I know what matters most to me in that moment. Somebody's mad at me, and if I forget my values, I react, and I get angry back, and I go to the least common denominator of my values. But if I can stay in tune with what matters most to me right now, and what matters most is that this person knows that I'm listening, that I'm respectful, that I'm on their side, that I want to understand, that I'm curious, that I'm compassionate with their feelings. If I'm clear with that, no problem knowing what to say or what to do. I know how to listen. I know what to speak. Um, but when I lose track of that, when I miss that, when I forget that, then I'm just reacting and then I'm regretting it later and stewing about it for months and, and reworking that conversation in my head a thousand times. <laughs> I don't figure out how I could have said it in a way that would have let them yeah. know, you know, who they are really are talking to here or what they should have done differently or whatever. And it just, I get way off base and way off track with who I want to be and what my life is. Yeah. I mean, we've all done that, right? We've all done that. And, oh, yeah. and and what's dangerous is when you have that conversation, when you're driving a car through a school zone, you know, it's, it's, you it's, it's, it's not helpful, you know, um, your advice and whatnot is just so on point, and I think especially for COVID. Uh, you know, Adrian and I have talked a lot about uh, personal rituals, uh, triggers that you can go to to kind of put yourself in that good state of mind. And you've mentioned a couple of them, you know, expressing gratitude and coming back to your values. Um, is it important to sort of start your day in, in a way that can tamp down that anxiety and put you in the right? Are, are there certain rituals that maybe you've used or that you've counseled? you know, people that you coach to use that can get the day off to a good start, maybe end the day, or if you're in a bad place during the day, some go-to rituals? I love that question, Chester. That is a really, uh, really valuable thing in people's lives. Um, for depression or for anxiety, th those little rituals, those little structures that we put on things that give us something to look forward to that sort of ground us in who we are, are really, really valuable. And on the days when I get up and I am hitting the ground running because I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning and now it's six o'clock in the morning and I'm tired and the alarm goes off and I've pushed the button once and I've already lost it. And I'm so I'm running 
and I have not stopped to do the things that I know ground me, those days don't tend to go very well. Um, so yeah, there are some rituals that I think are really valuable for people. Checking in with the people we love, um, checking in with uh, God. If if God is a, an important aspect of our identity or and and our and the meaning that we have in life. Um, spending some time prioritizing what what's most important to me today, what's on my mind. I personally spend time in in prayer every single morning of you know that I don't don't have one of those days where I hit the ground running because <laughs> I'm late. I you know, I've missed it, but I I'm weird. I I pray with a paper and pencil. You know I <laughs> because I'm. I'm not just reciting something. I am talking to somebody I believe is real and I, I'm writing down the ideas that come into my mind. But even if prayer is not the way to do that for you, um, just taking a few minutes and thinking through the day, okay, what, what's most important to me? Um, where am I going to go with this? What ideas come to mind about that? What, what are the questions I want to be asking myself about how I proceed? Though that half hour that that we spend just getting ourselves oriented to the day and thinking in a quiet place, uh, making some notes about the ideas that come to mind can be extremely valuable. Um, and at the end of the day, my my typical approach is to spend just a few minutes um, simply in gratitude. One of my children um, likes the question, what was a happy surprise today? She said, when I ask myself that question, there's almost always a happy surprise when I stop and look at it. Uh, but other people will say, what, what am I grateful for? Um, when did I, when did, wh who helped me today? And what allowed that help to come into my life today? Was it because they were kind or because I was open or because I said I needed something? And then they, you know, what, what made that positive thing happen that I can learn from? Those little moments of just stopping and reflecting on the positive in our lives actually help retrain our brain that's getting so trained right now to look for what's wrong and scary and difficult. Um, it, we begin to retrain that impulse to say, no, let's start looking for what's right, what's good, what feels loving and connecting, what I have to be grateful for. What I, I, Can I stop and remember for a moment? Oh my gosh, I remember when I was in, you know, that trip to India that I swore I would never go another day of my life without being grateful for fill in the blank. And here I am, I haven't even thought about it in months, you know, and, and let me just regroup, um, remember how the goodness, not just the problems. You know, Wendy, a quick follow-up to that. I, I love your your analogies that I went to India and I realized how blessed I was and then how easy mm -hmm. it is to forget that. You know, I remember I, I went on a, a river trip with, with my older brother, John, and here we were going down, you know, the Grand Canyon and we had everything we needed in, in one backpack. And I remember thinking, gosh, this could life be this simple? Is this really all I need? And I thought, yes, yes, it is. And then I came back and my car needed to be serviced. And they, I had a nice car at the time. And they gave me a, a crappy car as a loaner. And immediately, I forgot all about my life in a backpack. <laughs> I mean, it happened that fast, you know. And yep. so I love your advice on reflect. Remember those moments and realize that, gosh, you know, 99% of the world would trade places with you and me in a heartbeat, right? We really have a lot to be grateful yeah. for. Yeah, when my daughter was in a really stressful time in her life, and she runs a little anxious, uh, she had a sentence that she really found helpful to her, which was, all I have to do right now is 
and fill in the blank. And she would break it down, which is a really big help for us. All I have to do right now is find the right bus. All I have to do right now is get the right money out of my purse for the bus. All I have to do right now is sit here and enjoy the countryside until it's time to get off the bus. You know, and she would get her her way through the day that way. And that's been really helpful to a lot of people to just break it down like that. But I found in doing that, that sometimes I can start to feel like, okay, okay, all I have to do right now is, I have to do right now, you know, and I get that place. And so I've tried to add to that very helpful tool. Another one, which for me is what I get to do right now is, what I get to do right now is go to the dentist. I hate the dentist, but I get to go to the dentist, which means my teeth will still be in my mouth by the end of my life. I have someone who in my life who has spent years preparing to do that work for me. I have the money to go to the dentist, you know, and, and instead of thinking about it as the dreaded thing to think I get to get in my car and drive it's a crappy car, but it runs and someone is fixing my car today and I can afford that. And, you know, so both of those questions can be helpful. The first one kind of breaking things down a little bit. Okay. I don't have to think about it all at once, but the second one, let me just focus on what, what's good about this thing, even this thing that I don't like, even this thing that's hard. But also just, um, you know, what I get to do right now is I get to go for a walk all by myself in the mountains. <laughs> Isn't this lovely? Even if it's only 10 minutes, it's, you know, I get that little moment. I'm so grateful. Well, we're coming up on our time, Wendy. I, I have a feeling people are just going to re-listen to this over and over again because your wisdom is so profound. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier that I thought was so so great was, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. So I have one last question. I think it would be maybe about this idea, and you did tie it into the spiritual idea as well, and maybe the idea is around forgiveness. How do you think that plays into this idea of anxiety, maybe forgiving ourselves, forgiving others? If you could just give us a, a, thought, a few thoughts on that. Yeah, I could probably do that. I wrote a book on forgiving <laughs> ourselves, actually, once upon a time. and. Um, one of the things that I realized is forgiveness is hard, and a lot of it is really tied to this principle we were talking about earlier of shame. It's often because I'm feeling some, some lingering shame that I struggle to forgive myself or someone else. I'm feeling shame about my own behavior as I look back on the past, but I'm feeling shame in the moment because I'm suddenly feeling like, wow, you know, if people knew about this thing I did three, you know, decades ago, they'd be really, they wouldn't like me or I'm feel and, and that shame gets triggered. And instead of remembering the whole of who I am and the whole of my identity, I am suddenly in that moment, just this one bad thing that I did. Um, so so when people are struggling with self-forgiveness, I think it's often because we've gotten looped back in to forgetting, no, I'm not failing if I'm learning. What did I learn from this? It's not a failure if I'm learning. Have I done what I can to make it right? Yes, I have. Check. Have I apologized to the people and really tried to be empathic with the, with the harm that I've caused? Yes, I have. Check. Am I living my values differently now? Yes, I have. Check. And if none of those are checked, then those give us places to go. But if they're kind of checked off and all I'm really worried about is 
I'm worried about what I think other people would think if they knew this about me. I'm not really worried about, has God forgiven me? I think he has, or has my spouse forgiven me? Or has my child forgiven me? I, hopefully we've repaired those relationships. I'm just worried about what other people would think. That's often from for a lot of people, the thing that kind of gets us stuck in not forgiving ourselves. And I think by the same token, when we're ready to forgive someone else, have I really been willing to let, you know, let them be weak and human, just like I'm asking to be weak and, and human? Or am I still in a place of defensiveness where I'm saying, no, if they're okay, then it makes it like it's my fault now. Or if I forgive them, then it means that what they did wasn't really bad. And neither one of those is acceptable to me. Well, maybe we need to figure out another way to look at it and say, yeah, that really hurt me. That was really painful. I really hated it. I hated everything about it. And it's really messed up my life. Um, but, you know, I've done things that have probably messed up other people's lives. I am, I am not willing to say it was okay. But I am willing to say, even if you're not at a place in your life yet where you can't even fully apologize to me because you're still stuck in shame. I don't need to be. I don't need to make it. It's either your fault or it's my fault. I can just say, yeah, we're all in this human mess together. And um, I can live my values here. Uh, and one of my values is I, I get to let people off the hook. Such great advice. You know, uh, you had so many great quotes. And I know this is a quote that you know, and I thought it would be a great way to wrap up the show from uh, Russell M. Nelson who recently said, mm -hmm. counting our blessings is far better than recounting our problems. You know, we dwell on those problems and those mistakes, and it always takes us to a, to a bad place. Well, as we wrap up, you know, we, we love to ask our guests, if there are th three things that you wanted people to remember from this conversation that we're having today about anxiety at work and anxiety in your life, three things, well, what might those three things be? Um, I, would, I would go back to, I'll go back to my list on my desk, uh, slow down slow down. Um, give yourself time to reconnect with what your truest values are as you begin your day or as you are in the middle of your day or as you're facing a difficult obstacle or a challenge or relationship challenge in your day. Slow down. Treat yourself and others with curiosity and compassion. If we can get curious about others rather than assuming we've got all the answers or we understand exactly where they're coming from and they are wrong in where they're coming from. But if we can get curious about the things that are still kind of we're, we're, aren't making sense to us and uh, be compassionate with ourselves and others, I, I think that's a huge one. And, um, and realizing, yeah, we're not going to get rid of the uncertainty in our lives. It's being amplified right now, but we're not going to get rid of it. If the, the goal, if the goal is to get rid of it, you're going to fail and fail and fail. If the goal is to get more tolerant of the uncertainty and the ambiguity in our lives and learn to work with it more gracefully, that's a better place to, to focus our attention. We are more resilient than we think. And often our anxiety goes back to some place in our childhood where something horrible happened and nobody was there to help us. We'll never be that vulnerable again. We have skills, we have, we have survived. 
we know more than we think we do. And we can put our trust in our own capacity for resilience, not in our ability to prevent anything bad from ever happening again. Uh, brilliant advice. And uh, we are more resilient than we think. I love that, Wendy. Where, where can we learn more about your work? Where would you have people go to learn more about you? Oh, um, well, the why of work is a good one. Um, we, I, I run some little seminars from time to time uh, directed primarily for people of faith, but um, if people who are not of faith are willing to put up with the people of faith, then we can all do those together. A, a little group called 16 Stones. Um, we've got a book out on forgiving ourselves, another one on habits of happiness that uh, would be maybe of interest to some people. Well, listen, thanks so much for being on the show. You know, we just love that your work is impacting so many people in a positive way, whether it you know, it's just finding happiness or meaning meaning in their lives and making the workplace a little better. So listen, uh, thanks again. Uh, I've got all kinds of notes. I know Adrian does too. Uh, call us anytime if there's anything we can do to help you amplify your message. We're, we're, we're big fans, even bigger fans now that we've been able to spend an oh, hour yeah. with you. You are so kind. I love what you guys are doing and I'm excited for this book to, uh, to have the impact that I know it's going to have. So, wow, Adrian, what a guest. I felt like I was uh, sitting at the, the feet of Buddha there and, and uh, everything she said was so impactful. You know, I, I, I love when she talked about uncertainty isn't going away and that we've got to learn how to deal with uncertainty. That was a big takeaway for me. Uh, how, about, how about you? Yeah, you know, on that same note, I loved her message of slow down, you know, know what your values are, make sure you're not sort of doing something that's maybe in violation of your values in an effort to just get everything done in this pandemic. Yeah, I like that one too. Take a deep breath, just slow down. Another one that I wrote down is we're not failing, we're learning. Isn't that a great way to look at things? You know, that, that kids, you know, weren't failing, they were learning. They didn't think of it as failing. They thought of learning. That was a great takeaway for me. And I took the same one down. And, and what she said on top of that was, no matter how bad it gets, there's there's meaning in what's going on. And like you said, you know, it's not a failure if I'm learning something. Yeah, uh, I, we could go on for another hour. Uh, the rituals I love, check in with people you love. I love that in her prayers, she prays with a, a paper and pencil. Isn't that interesting? And then when things <laughs> come to mind, she writes them down. Because how often have we been meditating or praying or whatever? We go, oh, I'll remember that. And we never do, right? We never remember. Hey, and another one too, because I'd asked her, you know, what do you, how do you spot anxiety in those around you? Maybe your employees, teammates. And she said, you know, ask them, uh, right. how are you coping? How's your anxiety level? How are you coping though? I think is a better one because somebody's anxiety might ratchet up when you say, how's your anxiety? But very simple is how are you coping? And if they're not opening up, well, open up a little yourself and say, well, this is what's bugging me right now. Yeah. And then the last one for me, and, and, I, and I love this, and she wrapped up with this, is we're more resilient than we think. Like, well, we'll get through this. We'll figure it out. And I thought, you know, what a great message to end with on that. We are more resilient than we think. This, should, this too shall pass. Slow down. Take it easy. Well, as always, Adrian, I, I, I just love spending time with you and talking about these things. You know, you're in, you're in Utah. I'm in New Jersey. And through the miracle of all this great stuff we're doing, it works out just great. And as always, I love to give a shout out to Brent Klein, our amazing producer that uh, pulls this all together and makes us, makes us look and sound good. And to Christy Lawrence, who finds our amazing guests, who acts as our uh, booking manager. And of course, to all of you who have listened in, uh, if you like the podcast, share it, right, Chess? 
Yes, absolutely. Recommend it and share it with your friends. This one in particular, you know, I, I know we'll all have favorite uh, podcasts, but this one, I just thought there was so much to digest. Every time she opened her mouth, I thought, Chester, be quiet. Don't interrupt. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> so if you like the podcast, share it with a friend. And thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and don't be anxious about your anxiety. Mm-hmm.